0: You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Hello, and welcome to Bicycle Retail Radio. This is Rod Judd from People for Bikes, and I'm here today interviewing with Christy Mon, the marketing manager for the Dirty Kansas and an all round ambassador for all things gravel and bicycle participation. So, welcome, Christy. How are you?
1: I'm great, Rod. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you for joining us. It's, uh, it's great to be talking again.
1: So well, it's I wanted a to- pleasure, for Good. sure.
0: Good. I wanted to get some insights into what you're doing with the event this year and your sort of overall strategy. Tell us a little bit about your background as a bike enthusiast and you know what drew you to getting involved in events in general?
1: Well, you know, a lot of it just came down to health and fitness at the core of it. I was a uh, fairly avid runner in my late teens and early 20s. And as I grew older, realized that running and my knees and my lower back were not jiving. And in through that process, I'd also been working hard to get my husband to find something to do to stay in shape. And he turned to cycling, which meant eventually that I kind of turned to cycling as well. So it's pretty organic how I came into it. And that was about 18 years ago. So, Okay. How did you
0: discover gravel?
1: Well, if you've ever been to Emporia, Kansas, it's pretty easy to see how we discovered gravel. <laughs> There's only about two paved routes that you can really ride around this community, but the gravel options are absolutely endless. So it really was pretty much a no-brainer. And it, you know, it really lends itself, I think, to the type of riding that I like to do, which is a little bit more of an adventure style. I also like the idea of kind of being out there solo and away from things, giving me lots of time to think and explore. So gravel here was pretty natural just because of where we sit in the country. So,
0: Sure. And, and of course, you're a, you're a bike business person that's involved in many things. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about you know, what you're doing in the bike business in general. And you know, what's your take on the impact of gravel as a category for bike businesses?
2: Well,
1: I think it's been, you know, most people don't really understand that Dirty Kansas has been around since 2006. So this is actually going to be our 15th year of the event. I think gravel has become a very natural evolution of the process of where people are becoming, we're seeing more and more distracted drivers, the roads are becoming less safe. Gravel gives you that opportunity to get off the grid a little bit more. And with with how we are so connected in our day-to-day lives anymore. It's a reprieve from what we do 24-7, basically. So I think gravel has become a, a pretty natural evolution of where I would have anticipated the industry to go. I also think it really lends itself to community, at least in my world it does. And that becomes something in my mind that's really important too. So I think that's why we've seen such a big boom in gravel is it's is just a safer environment and it's more community friendly
0: okay where do you see it going next you know obviously the styles and the technology with gravel bikes is changing
1: mm-hmm. where do you
0: see it stepping next
1: well i hope it continues to grow and bring in more and more people into the sport and i think that that's going to be you know with with the evolution of bikes becoming more comfortable and more durable and Safer and more, you know, like I said, more comfortable to ride. I think we'll see more and more people choosing to explore the world on two wheels on gravel. And I think that there's also, you know, a lot of these bikes also work well as kind of a do anything bike, which I think is also important because a bike can be a significant investment. You can have your bike also serve as a commuter bike or a bike packer bike. And I think all of those things lend themselves well to gravel and to, and to gravel bikes in that industry, in that sector of the industry.
0: Okay. You mentioned, you know, you're being involved with your husband in riding. What's the appeal for you still about gravel? Why are you in love with this category as it is in, in 2020?
1: There's just, in my book, there's no better way to explore the country than on two wheels. I like it because of the distances you can go and the time that you're allowed. I think because the industry has grown up so much, you know, over the last 15 years, that it's great because you have all of these different gravel events now that are popping up in all different places, that those are always, at least to all of the ones I've been to, have been put on by people that are super passionate about the community that they're in, about gravel, and about the locations that they're doing these in. And it means that I can kind of you know, bank my buck on going and spending a great weekend around a great group of people and getting to see some of the best parts of the nature in that area on two wheels. I just, I don't see anything better as far as a way to explore the world on two wheels is, you know, attending these events and, and checking out these areas that people are finding things that they're passionate about in it. That's, Part of the reason I love doing it, and it's also the the solitude that will come from that too. Exploring those roads when you're just going out for test rides and whatnot, it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, in terms of events, tell us about your personal experience riding an event like the Dirty Kansas. Do you remember the first time you you rode? Tell us what it was like, perhaps for people who who haven't had the pleasure of riding something like that.
1: I've only been able to do. Dirty Kansas two times. The first time was in 2010, and it was kind of, I joined the promotions team after the 2008 event, and my husband was one of the original 34 riders back in 2006. And when I came and got to ride the event in 2010, it was right before we were kind of starting. It was the very first year we moved it downtown, and I was pretty anxious about being on course versus being at the finish line because it was something new. But at the same time, Dirty Kansas was much smaller then. But my goal that year was truly to prove to myself that I could ride two hundred miles in one day. So it was simply a finishing goal. And, you know, what would I tell people to expect? I mean, it's a it's obviously a long day on the saddle. You need to know how to feed yourself and how to take care of your bike and all of those sorts of things that we tell you about, they're real. My day ended, I slashed my tire pretty significantly with about 30 miles to go. And ultimately, the repair didn't hold. And so I finally called it with around 13 miles left or so and had my husband come pick me up. But I think a lot of people saw that as disappointing. But in my mind, my goal was to ride 200 miles. And when I got to that point, I was like, I got it. Like I, I know I can do it. And it kind of I mean, although I wanted to finish Dirty Kansas, I also wasn't disappointed because I felt like I had met an expectation of myself. The team of race promoters at the time was, you know, Jim Cummins, who's the founder, Leland Daines, who we brought in, and then my husband and myself at the time. The three guys basically came to me in 2017, and they were like, "Hey, you want to, you want to try to ride it again?" Which, of course, you know, I did. So I wrote it again in 2018, and that one had my full attention. Like all the training. You know, I didn't miss a single training ride, hired a coach, all of those things. But, you know, on that one it was really I spent a lot more time, I did my homework, I knew what to expect, I put the work in, and I really my biggest tip on that from that ride and my biggest takeaway was to ride your race. You know, I didn't commit to riding with anybody. I didn't make any of those promises. I just decided to do the very best I could at my own pace that day on the bike and and of course was very dialed with my nutrition and my feed zones, you know, when we got into the checkpoints, knew exactly what I was doing and had a really good game plan. And, and ultimately, it led to really good success, which was super exciting. One of the things about Kansas is you really don't know how Kansas is going to play with you that day. You know, you get to do one part of the race, but the rest of it's up to the elements that you face when you go out there. So it was a good day.
0: Amazing. You mentioned, you know, the appeal of solitude on a good gravel mm-hmm. ride. Tell me about what are some of the highs and lows. That go through your head during an event like the Dirty Kanza. Where do you find yourself going mentally?
1: I think a lot of it for me is just <laughs> the game that I end up playing with myself is that the part of me that tells me that I'm going to quit, right? And I'm, you know, everybody talks about that. But what's happened is the more events I've done like this, and the longer I've been riding my bike like this that voice is completely outshadowed by this other part of my brain that like, that's just nonsense. You know, you're not going to quit. So stop talking to yourself like that. (laughs) So It's this internal dialogue that I end up having where it basically comes out to the fact that, you know, I've committed to doing something and I really, really want to see it through the best of my ability. Of course, I'm going to be smart and I'm not going to put myself in danger physically. But at the same time, it's learning to grasp those highs and lows that you have when you're out there and Talk yourself through it, and the way you can then take that and apply it to your everyday life and how you work with people in in your day jobs is pretty amazing. How that kind of "I'm not going to quit" attitude can prevail and help you be successful off the bike too. And that's been one of my biggest joys from it.
0: That's great. That's powerful stuff. Okay, so <laughs> for a brand new participant, you know, when you're out there talking with folks who, you know, well, may be intimidated, how do you describe your events to a first-timer?
1: Well, I think that's an interesting question, Rob, because in my mind, Dirty Kansas really consists of several different distances, and we've done that on purpose that allows you to bite off what you think you can chew and help you grow, and I think that's what I would refer to people when they, you know, I get people call all the time that says, I'm not quite sure about the 200 and you know, talking them through what what that would look like and how that would relate and what they're trying to do. And helping them make the decision of what distance is maybe the right distance for them where they can be successful, but still be challenged. And it's one thing that I really like about our event is that we do have a distance starting as small as 25 miles or as short as 25 miles. I shouldn't say small, because for some people, that's a really big deal. We've had people that have done the 50 mile, that's taken them nine hours to ride 50 miles. And when you consider that Colin Strickland last year finished in just under 10, he almost, you know, triple lap the 50 miler in all intents and purposes. So I think it's really, you know, for our event, it's finding the distance that's going to fit you and challenge you the best and make you feel accomplished. And that's really kind of more of my focus and my drive at this point than, you know, saying you have to do the 200 to have it be of any worth. It's really finding something that's going to meet your goal and where you're at in your life and still going to provide you that experience that you're looking for.
2: This podcast is supported by Muckoff, who are a member of the NVDA, the British-based brand, have come a long way since they produced the very first bottle of bicycle-specific cleaner over 25 years ago. What started off as a mission to design a collection of cleaning and maintenance products purpose-built for all things two-wheeled has taken them to the top levels of cycling – with 7 Grand Tour victories, 12 Olympic medals, 1 Paralympic gold, a World Hour record, and the downhill World Cup title all under their belt. Whether it's their perfectly pink bike cleaner or their ultra-efficient hydrodynamic chain lubricant, you can be sure that you're stocking the cutting edge in technology. Check out their range today by getting in touch with your local Muck Off distributor or emailing info at muc-off.com.
0: You mentioned your husband was involved in the first 36 or so riders back when the event began. Do you know what motivated the introduction of this ride? You know, why did they choose to create the Dirty Kansas?
1: Well, Jim Cummins and Joel Dyke, our two founders had done Trans Iowa, which is a 350 mile distance up in, up in Iowa with Mark Stevenson up there. And they came back inspired from that. So the very first Trans Iowa took place in 2015 with the Dirty Kansas on its heels taking place, this first event taking place in 2016. The takeaways they had from that was that 350 seemed a bit unapproachable for, I mean, 200 miles is a long way. You know, the DK now has the XL distance, which is 350, but 200 miles is a long way. But they took away the distance might have been too long for just kind of your weekend warrior types. And they also did, instead of a point-to-point ride, which was what Trans-Iowa was that year, they did a loop so that you had to leave and get back to Emporia. So those were kind of the big two differences between Trans-Iowa and Dirty Kansas in that first year. But that's what had inspired the the event.
0: So... You've had some experience now with a number of iterations of the Dirty Kanza. What are some of the things that you've learned from other races or perhaps that you've learned yourself that aren't necessarily written down anywhere in terms of how to prepare, what's the best way to get the best result out of the event, and what's the best way to be satisfied by your experience there?
1: Well, I think the big takeaway that I've learned from all of these events is, you know, watching the finish line, which is where I spend, you know, most of my DKs are spent at the finish line. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway is always that you're, you're so much more capable than what you think you're capable of. You know, our abilities really can go beyond what we think we can do. And it's the DK finish line and many others out there too, are just such an emotional experience to see somebody that has made these goals for themselves realize these goals. And it's really cool too, because I think sometimes what gets overlooked a little bit is watching those family members. I mean, some of my biggest hugs that I've had at the DK finish line have been, you know, not only with the finisher, but then going over and hugging that family member that's been there for them on their training rides, was there for them in those support towns. It really, the concept of bringing that community together and bringing families together and friends together is so prevalent at a race like Dirty Kanza. And that to me is just always a big takeaway. It's just, it just recharges your soul and your batteries to watch one of those finish lines.
0: Great. Let's talk a little bit about Lifetime's involvement in the event. Of course, Lifetime acquired the event uh, a few years ago. What does having a company from the health and wellness space bring to this event? Where do you see the, the great value there?
1: The extra hands on deck, the extra resources have been just, there's just no value to it. It's enormous. We needed it and we appreciate, you know, from the Emporia community and from the Emporia event staff, you know, we we love the fact that we have a network of people and a team of people that can help pull this event off. It just was to the point where it was really difficult for four people. And even though, I mean, our volunteer crew is just top notch, it's still a lot on four people to pull off on that weekend so it's really nice to have you know last year was our first year with Lifetime in Emporia helping us and I went home on Thursday evening and took a shower (laughs) (laughs) which was you know a first in many years where you know the event starts or third you know Wednesday evening gets here and it's pretty much a run till till Sunday after the award ceremony and it was amazing to be we were all sitting in the office kind of looking at each other going you know well, what should we do and I think all four of us went home and took a shower before the evening get-together that evening which was you know all because we had extra hands on deck helping get everything done and it was just it was an incredible feeling to know that that we had we'd chosen right and we picked an organization that was there to help and support us so it was a really good feeling
0: sure Talk a little bit more about, you know, what it takes to put on the event. You know, how many volunteers are we talking about and staff? What's the heavy lift there? What goes into it?
1: Treva, our event services manager, would have to get you the number of volunteers. And have, I don't know. I, I even hate to I even hate to take a guess. Yeah, I know it's probably 300 or so, something like that. And I might be shy. I don't know. And I'm sure she's told me, but it's one of those things where it's, for me, if it that doesn't hit me right in the gut. Like it's kind of in one ear, out the other. But we've worked, I think one of the things that I'm super proud of is how we've worked with so many of these community organizations to help them use Dirty cans as a fundraiser for themselves or help them generate funds to give, you know, so we're giving back to the community that way. And I think last year's fundraising totals for all of our organizations that we've worked with was close to $100,000 from that weekend. And that's, I mean, from a kid from Emporia, to be able to impact my community like that is just really humbling.
0: Yeah. And talk a little bit more, please, about, you know, what this means to the city. You know, obviously, bicycling can have a great impact on local economies. Please share your thoughts and impressions on what it means to Emporia.
1: Well, I mean, last year's study that they conducted after Dirty Cans the weekend alone was a giveback of around $5.5 million, I think. So super substantial. And I think that the impact resonates throughout the year. We have people come and ride bikes in Emporia year-round, not just Dirty Kansas weekend. So, you know, from that perspective, we don't even know the calculation that the you know the little race that could is sometimes what I call Dirty Kansas, the little race that could. It's like, what is it actually impacting Emporia with? And I think it's it's a lot of notoriety and a lot of people that come here to ride year-round, which is great. Great. You are
0: clearly motivated by the, a passion for getting <laughs> more people to ride, which is obviously, you know, very important to to all aspects of businesses and, you know, in my opinion, to communities in general. Talk a little bit about your motivation for getting women to ride. Why so focused on women?
1: It really came from the fact that when I joined the cycling community here and in the Midwest, there were just there weren't a ton of us out there. And I didn't understand why. And I think it boiled down to a lot of it being, you know, some intimidation and and not necessarily the support networks that women were looking for in there. And I just really felt like, and coming from a running background too, when I'd seen, you know, 51% female participation in events and on the running side, I didn't understand why it wasn't there on the riding side, because the cycling in my book was easier, more fun, more community-driven and something way easier to share with a friend or a husband or a significant other or whatever. It just didn't make sense. And I think it just became a passion for me that I wanted to get more women out there from the competition side and from the camaraderie side and from the fact that I didn't want women missing out on what gravel was about. And I wanted that shared experience with them. Excellent maybe a little bit selfish <laughs> when i say it like that yeah you know, thinking about it from that perspective like you know let's let's do this
0: there's nothing wrong with that if it's if it's for the greater good right talk a yes. little bit about some of your the interactions you've had with women in, during your cycling career you know can you speak to a specific example where you really felt like you changed somebody's life through cycling
1: that seems pretty presumptuous i can talk about like, I mean, I suppose I probably have changed from women's life in that perspective. I think more of what I think about is, and, you know, I've used Ann's name a couple times this year, but Ann Gentle, who is a writer from Nebraska, she's been to a couple DK camps. She inspires me greatly. She was on the docket to ride the DK 200 last year and at camp after just watching her ride and get through some stuff, I had a conversation with her where I you know, I said, I think the two hundred is you're biting off more than you can chew and I really want to see you finish. And I knew she had done some other distance events that she hadn't completed and worked with her to to do the one hundred instead of the two hundred. And that moment of her finishing that one hundred mile distance was just it was amazing. You know, I try to think of other women that like Wendy Shear, she's in she and her husband, Jason, do Ordinary Epics now, which are bike races and community events down in Mississippi. And I think that that's probably something that I've inspired, but, you know, it's, it's hard to say. That's just, it's not necessarily why I do it. So I, I guess I don't really look for that, if that makes sense.
0: It does. I understand. You're involved with a group, Women Ride the World. Mm-hmm. Would you talk a little about that group's mission, particularly the social aspects of your work there? Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Women Ride the World was born out of 200 women, 200 miles, and that campaign was launched in 2016 to try to get 20% women participation at our 200-mile distance event. As that event grew and we moved through things with that, I understood that we weren't, what I was really trying to accomplish was to get more women at the start line. And although we had been focused on the 200-mile distance, I wanted it to be focused On every distance because it's not, you know, 200 miles is is a significant amount and it, it requires quite a bit of training. So I was really looking forward to try to get women on the bike at the start line of the 25, of the 50, of the 100, of the 200, and trying to make a space where they felt welcome to come and ride any distance at the DK. And as we were trying to kind of, my girlfriends and I here were trying to kind of come up with how that looked. We each started committing to how many miles we were going to ride that year and help hold each other accountable. And what came out of it was that when we added up our miles, we figured out we were going to collectively ride around the world. And that's where kind of the Women Ride the World came from. And the incentive there and the the motivation there is to just simply get more women on bikes, give them a space to find support. Some of the initiatives that we're going to be launching out of this will be including some toolkits for ambassadors, toolkits for events, toolkits for bike shops, really trying to make sure we're giving women the community support that they need to decide to to try riding gravel
0: as a retailer i filled out my very first america's best bike shop application over five years ago and to be honest the first time i was a little anxious i felt the result of the process would either be the seal of approval or the seal of disapproval for my bike stores It was shortly after they handed out the awards that I realized this is an excellent opportunity to work with staff on our messaging and customer experiences in our stores. ABBS kind of became the coach we use to find holes in our sales process or staff training. Where else are you going to get critical feedback like that?
2: Go to nbda.com for more details and to sign up for America's Best Bike Shop Program.
0: Can you talk a little more about those toolkits, you know, and how would retailers connect and what does that mean for the retailer or the community organizer?
1: Sure. And those are all things that are in the works. But the goal there is that, you know, we hear a lot of times that bike shops can be intimidating. So we want to try to partner with bike shops and find bike shops that want to be doing things that will make a woman purchaser feel more comfortable, feel welcome, do some specific clinics and rides focused on them. And just really kind of giving them the space to grow into cycling where they're not intimidated,
0: very good. What does success look like for you in terms of women's participation in the United States? You mentioned you know attending running events where the proportions were much more balanced of men to women. Where do you think we need to take it, and how do we get there?
1: Well, you know, I think continuing the one big thing I think I always hear is like we just have to invite women to participate, you know, ask them. So I think obviously that's key is to events and bike shops and organizations and events to so just continuing to ask women to participate. You know, what does success look like? Obviously, you know, 50% female, 50% male is probably what true success looks like. Realistically, you know, what I hope for at the dirty Kansas start lines is more shooting at a collective like 35% across all of our distances. We see interesting numbers in our 25-mile distance. It's actually over 50%. It's like 55 57% female participation. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, continuing to make sure we give, them, give women those avenues to be successful and the avenues to have access is the big part of it and feel welcome.
0: Speaking to decision-makers and leaders within our industry and the health and wellness industry, If you could have the floor and ask them to do something to get involved, what would you ask them to do?
1: I think anything that I would ask anyone to do would have to make sense for where they are and what they're doing. It has to be something that that is, I hate the word authentic, but, you know, authentic or organic in what they're doing. It has to make sense. It can't be forced. It has to feel, you know, natural. And I think, you know, continually looking in your own communities for women leaders and empowering them is important. You know, we did that with Big Sugar when we launched Big Sugar down in Bentonville, Arkansas, bringing on Gabby Adams as one of our event directors. It was a matter of empowering and and the, the concept of, you know, if she can see it, she can be it. Just making sure women have that space and have the opportunity to be leaders is super important.
0: Yes, I'm glad you brought up Big Sugar. Do you see a younger rider attending that event, or so I guess the back of that question is how do we reach younger riders and younger women in particular?
1: Well, I think it all comes down to the same things that we've been saying. You know, obviously, Gabby's although we share a birthday, we're many years apart, (laughs) you know, bringing up young leaders and young riders, it's it's just the same thing, giving them the space, giving them the, the floor, giving them the power to be leaders as we move things forward is super important.
0: What do you think the barriers are specifically to women riding in the United States right now?
1: You know, cycling isn't a cheap sport. So obviously, I think there's always a financial part of it. Women tend to Although they tend to be the biggest decision makers in the families as far as finances go, they also are less likely to spend money on themselves. You know, so there's some training there of like, you know, you're worth it and your health is worth it. I think again, it comes down to support and access. I think we're doing a better job of it, especially I think the cycling industry is doing a a much better job continually of making sure that space and that seat at the table is available. I think we just have to keep doing all of those things and keep recognizing that it's not, you know, it's not equitable yet, but it's, it's way better than it was even, you know, three years ago, I think. Excellent.
0: So for the next five years, say, what are your personal goals for expanding, particularly Women Ride the World? What's next? You mentioned that the kids would be available. What are your grand ambitions? Well,
1: you know, personally, like, I just want to continue to empower the next round of leaders. Yeah, I'm not old, but I also, I think, you know, what you said about getting younger people on bikes and what I think that's important. And I think, you know, the next generation is going to come to the table with different ideas and they need to be heard and they need to have the space to do that. So, you know, I I want to see, I just want to see that next group of ambassadors grow and be successful and support them, even if we disagree. You know, I think that's another thing. Some feedback I got and there was a comment about competition versus camaraderie and you know, I think I do. I'm one of those people that believe you can have both. So I, I think that I want to see women ride the world, grow more leaders as we move forward. I'm also, I'm a big believer. I mean, obviously, I've been championed as someone about women on bikes. But what really what it boils down to is the community piece for me. And I really want to see, I want to see local bike shops. I want to see local bike dealers understand how important their role is in their community and hopefully give them some. Ways to be successful if they're falling short. Because I think, you know, obviously the online stuff is out there, but you can't build a community online. It just doesn't work. Like, I mean, one where you're going out and, you know, going for a ride together and then having beers afterwards or having coffee or having pizza or whatever it is. And I want to see, I want to make sure those local bike shops are finding success moving forward.
0: You're obviously a marketing expert yourself what are some of the inspirations that you get from perhaps other industries or things that you see day to day that can help us with community building in the bike space?
1: Hmm. I'm a realtor also. And I think a lot of it comes, you know, comes from that. I think, you know, I'm so, I'm so entrenched between those two communities and the other one would potentially be music and just looking at how, you know, music can bring people together Obviously, houses are definitely community-related. I think they all just kind of make sense to me, is is looking at those things for some inspiration. And I definitely am cross-referencing things all the time. Just in general, if I see something, how could I use that to make dirty cans better or, you know, big sugar better or whatever it is. I just kind of glean stuff from things around me. Very
0: good. All right, before I throw to you for some final comments, do you have any new events planned? Do you have anything, new programs that we can look forward to in the coming year or two?
1: New events for me personally or or
0: professionally? Perhaps (laughs) new iterations of a new Big Sugar or a new Dirty Cancer or perhaps- Well, you
1: know, I think we're always looking at potential ideas for growth opportunities. It'd be silly to not continuously be kind of keeping our eyes open and our fingers on the pulse for things and needs and holes, so to speak, that where we could fill a gap. So those things are always in play. You know, personally, I think I'm hoping to get to some events I haven't been to just to check those out. I haven't been to Rooted, Vermont, which I'm going out to this year, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm participating in Lead Boat so I'm looking forward to that challenge and just trying to figure out other ways to continue challenging myself on the bike too is important. It provides me inspiration coming back home for sure.
0: Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Christy? Anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to speak to?
1: You know, I think I know, like I said earlier, that that I definitely have been identified as as a leader in this getting more women on bikes and I'm I'm stoked about that. But It's not just limited to women. I want to see people get out on bikes and and try gravel and try dirt and try, you know, even mountain biking. I think that there's a lot to be learned out there. And I think it's a super great place to find and build new relationships and find something out new about yourself. And so, you know, as much as I'm stoked on getting more women on bikes, I challenge those women to get other people and their families on bikes, too. I think it's a really great avenue to Explore and learn something new.
0: Excellent. Well thank you, Christy. Christy Mon, you're an amazing ambassador for what we're doing. I thank you for your time today and good luck with the events this
1: year. Thank you. Hope to see you at some of them.
0: Absolutely.
1: Awesome. Bye now. Okay, thanks. Bye. This has
0: been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at NBDA dot com.